Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Vice. This is an American biographical comedy drama directed by Adam McKay. The cast includes Patrick Bateman, Michael Scott, Lois Lane, Fat Todd, Guy Fliegman, and Medea. I watched this movie on Hulu. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Hulu. Did you see this one when it was in theaters? I did not, no. I was visiting family in 2018, which of course means every different member of the family spent their time with me by taking me to the movies. And I actually, Perfect. I saw this one and another Gary Sanchez film that came out on the same day, which was the uh, Holmes and Watson movie which oh, with yeah. Will Ferrell. With uh, Will Ferrell? Yes. And John C. Riley? Yes. And while I did have quite a laugh at times during that movie, I, mm, I had a better time watching this one, I think. Um, so, what's the synopsis for Vice, Joey? In this anti-organ donor propaganda piece, a man slowly erodes American democracy. That is Vice. Let's get started with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Vice? Uh, this movie is relevant it's funny and it's deeply haunting um there's really great writing directing and acting and it really elevates the story to bring the average american up to speed on very recent history what about you i agree uh there's great acting especially christian bale as dick cheney i mean that was one of the major draws for me in this film back in 2018 when the ads were out i was like i want to see Christian Bale turn into Dick Cheney, and he certainly does that. Uh, important topics are covered. These are things that um, just happened, like you said, recent history, but also that maybe a lot of people aren't that familiar with, in- including me, especially when I saw this originally. Um, I A lot of this was new information to me. Very, oh, yeah. very well written in the sense that the movie is organized in a way that is unpredictable but also it's not so chaotic that you lose track of what's going on i felt like it was a good mix of uh i don't know being kind of unconventional but also not going so far from the norm that you totally lose grip of what they're trying to tell you uh creative use of narrator i think that was pretty cool to have uh, to choose to invent this uh, like veteran who's directly impacted by Dick Cheney and also ties into his heart attacks, as well as the movie in general just being unconventional and memorable. So, oh, yeah. So uh, what about cons, Joey? What did you not like about Vice? I don't really feel like I understood Dick Cheney any better at the end than I did at the beginning. I mean, I know... I know uh, I knew of him. I feel like I understand parts of him and I understand what he did, but I don't really understand who he is or why he did the things he did. Um, and like, what's even real, man? I mean, obviously this is, you know, a biopic and everything and they take some liberties about what really happened. A lot of the conversations are imagined and everything, but anytime you watch something like this, especially something that's so self-aware as this movie is, you have to start asking yourself, what... Like, are they pushing a narrative or are they really telling me the truth? And so it almost like like when you're watching a documentary, it encourages and like necessitates extra research to actually understand what this movie is telling you. So you don't sound like, oh, I just saw it in a, in a movie and I think this is true now. Right. Because that makes you sound kind of dumb. 
I totally so. agree. It necessitates further research. And that's how I spent a lot of time between watching it and this podcast was trying to figure out the difference between fact and fiction. I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I was a kid during all this stuff, so I didn't really pay attention uh, to the Bush-Cheney administration as it was happening. And even then, in retrospect, there's a lot of things that people believed then that they no longer believe. So yeah. Um, th- th- that, yeah, I mean, that's my biggest gripe with this movie is that it blurs the line between fact and fiction. And like you said, that's to be expected. But um, I-, I don't know. I think something we should consider as we talk about this movie is whether or not this movie wants to inform people or just entertain people who already agree with them. Because yes. it, there are some certain things I found out after that aren't true that make that just put this movie on shakier and shakier ground. So we'll find out. I, we'll talk about it. Uh, but that, I think, is my biggest gripe. And I, I think that just comes with the territory of trying to make a biopic like this. And one more thing, like, the, because this is such a divisive topic, just talking about politics in general, even with someone who, like, you know, objectively did things as portrayed in this movie, like Dick Cheney did. It's so hard to answer the question whether that thing was the right thing to do or what the full context of that thing is. You know, politics is infinitely complex and like everyone is pushing certain agendas when you're doing when you're watching stuff like this. Oh, yeah. Like you, you go into any sort of like research there's going to be all these opinion pieces about what it means and the responses to those opinion pieces and all this stuff it gets so confusing um and it just gets harder and harder to answer the question of what's real um as time goes on and it's more and more misinformation and just general you know conversation happens about these things right we'll go over some like certifiable fact or like misses this movie had and also some other surprising or i don't know just give them credit for when they really do get it right uh but We'll get to that a little bit later. For now, let's move on to our overall section. Joey, take it away. I really like this movie. I think it's really, really well made. I'm just so impressed with Adam McKay, the writer and director, um, and what he's achieved here. He's told a story that would normally be very boring and full of droning lectures um, into an exciting downward spiral to explain why we are where we are. It offers answers to real-world questions, and it points to figure at someone we've all heard of but don't often talk about. It's kind of like a great real-world twist to be like, hey, it's all Dick Cheney's fault. And you're like, what? I didn't see that <laughs> coming at all. I've heard his name. I No, I anyway. feel the same way. Like, I knew that Dick Cheney – I'd even heard – like, his reputation was he was, like, the the shadow figure, like, the, the one pulling the strings yeah, yeah. behind the Bush administration. But, you know, if that's – if you just hear that, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, imagine what that really is like. Right. The only thing I, like – that I knew about Dick Cheney's character, I guess, was that he once shot a guy in the face and then that guy apologized for it, um, <laughs> which makes no sense. But that was like, that's what I understood Dick Cheney to be. Uh, and I still kind of feel that way after watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think McKay succeeds here um, with the dialogue that's meaningful and elevated as I think film dialogue should be. But it's not so difficult to understand that you're left lost or confused. Um, it's very straightforward, but still very much for a movie. And the acting is just absolutely incredible. Christian Bale, as always, like disappears into his roles. And he absolutely is totally encompassed by Dick Cheney. I'm using that term very intentionally. Um, <laughs> it's top, like, just top-notch makeup by um, Greg Cannon, uh, who actually did Mrs. Doubtfire's makeup, um, and uh, Kate Bisco, who they're both nominated for um, Oscars for this the work they did for this. 
And it, obviously that helps a lot in helping Christian Bale become Dick Cheney. But it's that subtlety that Bale brings to the role that it really drives it home. Um, he has to first act through the makeup, but then also rein it in enough so that only the smallest tiny bits of like emotion seep out of Cheney. Uh, it's just very impressive. Yeah, no, I agree. He really melts into the, uh, <laughs> the role of, of Cheney. And he's... I think you're right. The mannerisms are some of the most important or like impressive bits of it. The way that his eye, his left eye is a little bit more uh, prone to being closed in the same way that you always see Dick Cheney in real life. And uh, like the way that he treats his gut, it's like a seasoned vet. It's like a guy who's had a gut his whole life. Um, It's so crazy. Well, he gained 45 pounds for this role. Right. Like commitment to the craft i mean um he's insane i i did read that for this particular body transformation christian bale did take a little bit more precaution and did, he had the assistance of uh professionals who were going to make sure that he could you know stay Recover. healthy while he was doing this yeah and and take less risks because lest he become the real Dick Cheney and start having heart attacks. So he, I, I think it's just another example of Christian Bale going above and beyond. Uh, and that in itself, I think, is enough reason to sit down and, and watch this movie just to see such an amazing performance, another amazing performance from Christian Bale. Absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly what you just said about the, um, about like those tiny little cracks of emotion, right? Like, it, the, his little mannerisms and just like how you can really tell what he's thinking without a lot of dialogue going through mm-hmm. that. Um, I still feel like I'm going to hit on this again, but like there's, he's kind of still a black box, but very much you can see what Christian Bale is as Dick Cheney thinking as things have progressed and you can see the gears turning in his head. It's really impressive. Well, can the I, other actors, well, I, well I, I want to point out just to like kind of juxtapose the reason we appreciate Christian Bale versus potentially a different character. And I don't know if you felt the same way, uh, but I could not stop seeing Michael Scott as Donald Rumsfeld. Mm. Like not necessarily Michael Scott, obviously, but it, it didn't seem like Steve Carell disappeared into the role in the same way that uh, yeah, Christian Bale disappeared into Cheney, and I'll give you a really for one scene where I was like, "That's definitely that's still that's literally Michael Scott." Was when they were showing Rumsfeld's background as a pilot, and you see this very obviously green screened scene <laughs> of Michael Scott kind of waving off the camera, and I was like, "Okay, that's that's Michael oh, like Scott." Him, like a camera's pointed at him, and he's like telling it to yeah, do something. Yeah, I was like, "That's a scene from the from office." The yeah, it's like Michael Scott wants to seem like he used to be in the Air Force, so he got a green screen, put on a jumpsuit, and told, and he's like trying to be casual about it. Which is totally a Michael Scott thing to do. Yeah, and, and I don't want to say that to like totally disparage Steve Carell's Donald Rumsfeld. He's having the time of his life playing Donald Rumsfeld. It is he's very entertaining, but I think it's important to distinguish this uh, between somebody who's hamming yeah. it up <laughs> um, and somebody who's disappearing into the role. But I think Amy Adams does disappear into the role. And it's not just her haircut and everything. She is, she's very different than I've seen her in other movies uh, where she's kind of more reserved. And this one, she's very forceful, very opinionated. Um, and she has this, like, just this kind of overall feeling of power that you don't really see in a lot of her other roles. And I, I really like that. I thought she was wonderful in this movie. 
Um, and Sam Rockwell as well. I really like him as an actor. Uh, he kind of plays this, a similar character in a lot of movies, but I think it does this movie a, a big service to have him be kind of the bumbling George W. Bush. Um, you know, like un, unsure, very like, um, uh, I guess, insecure, but also like not thinking very deeply about what's going on. He's just, he's very like surface level. Um, and I think Sam Rockwell brings that like a very very uh, I think one of the scenes that this movie really pushed in its marketing campaign was the actual conversation between Cheney and Bush where he mm. convinces him to hand over certain powers and I think they're both excellent in that for me that's Sam Rockwell's Absolutely. best scene yeah and he does I mean he doesn't look as much like George W. Bush as Dick Cheney, as Tristan Bale looks like Dick Cheney, but he still does look like him. He's like he got the haircut and he's got like that that yeah. face, you know, where it's like on on George W. Bush, it just looked like his face. But in Sam Rockwell, it looks like he's going like, like. <laughs> I think you're right. Of all like the he's not exactly a dead ringer, but I still think he's close enough. Oh, he looks he looks pretty good. It's the expression that really drive like really sells it. And then T- Tyler Perry um, is great as usual. Yes. Like uh, he was, he was so good in Gone Girl as the uh, the lawyer, and in this, he's also really it, great as. Colin well, in Powell. what we're talking about, actually looking like the real life character, I think they did a great job making Tyler Perry look like Colin Powell. Oh yeah, like, I know at, at the DNC when I saw Colin Colin Powell, uh, you know, when I saw uh, Colin Powell uh, talking, I'm like, hey, they got Tyler Perry for this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, amazing casting and acting, I think, all around. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my biggest gripe with this movie, which I, we've already talked on a little bit, is for a biographical picture, for a, bi- a biopic, you might say, it's, it really don't spend a lot of time in Dick Cheney's head. It's hard to understand exactly why he does the thing he does. Um, and obviously, like, obviously power and you know play plays a huge role like he wants to have as much power as possible and he obviously loves his family very very much and that that's even more important than gaining more power and you see him make that sacrifice over and over which i thought was interesting and you know humanizing um maybe like like him more and understand him a little bit more but there's just this total lack of empathy that he displays whenever he's with whenever he's in politics whenever he's working right like with the whole thing with 9-11, they show that at the beginning and they show it later on as it happens chronologically in the movie, where he's sitting at the desk and like everyone's freaking out in that, in that bunker room and not unsure. And he's just totally calm. He calls in his lawyer, right? He's totally reserved and everything. Obviously, that's the point. But like to show him, not, to, to, to show him as, a, as a person who has a total lack of empathy or emotion in that scene like really doesn't sell you on what he's thinking or why he does the thing he does, right? Is he really so disconnected from the everyday American that he can't appreciate when something like this, like a, a true tragedy happens and and can't take that in as anything other than opportunity? It's, it's bizarre. Um, and I know that's kind of the point, but I, it doesn't humanize the character and doesn't make you understand why he makes the decisions he does, which I think is the purpose of a movie like this. Yeah, I agree. It almost seems like it's... Um, they make him kind of one-dimensional, and then he's like, I'm just about 
gaining more power no matter what's more going power. on today i want yeah i just want more power and um it would have been nice to set that up in some way to give him an ideology to say this is you know maybe maybe i'm just because i'm from wyoming i only care about people from wyoming so this isn't happening to them i'm or, right right i'm just making that up it could be anything um so yeah I, I think that's a good thing to point out i don't know what his thought process is behind that yeah, so a, a clue might be the movie's title. So vice, I think, is supposed to have two meanings. Obviously, he's the vice president, but also you see Cheney indulge in a lot of other vices as well, like power, drinking, food, fighting, that kind of stuff. And he's he's clearly a man that's not bound by moderation. But that is also very much part of the background, and it's never really condemned. Um, and is he the way he is because of unfettered and unapologetic indulgences and is a vice really a vice if you don't see it as potentially dangerous right he doesn't actually care that that those things might be dangerous or that they might be bad all he does is just take and take you know so is it like can you even say that's a vice you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's just like a it's something it's like a value almost but uh, maybe that's like a twisted maybe he's so twisted that that like these things that other people think are dangerous he thinks are really valuable to him i don't know and the movie seems like seems to play a pretty pretty faithful portrayal of history and dick cheney's actions but it seems resistant to offer explanations for his actions and it doesn't he seems even hesitant to even speculate about what his motivation could have been um, it even seems to kind of make fun of the idea of speculating about what his motivation could have been, like that whole Shakespeare scene, right? It's all very tongue in cheek. Yes. But like when he said, when the narrator, when Jesse Plemons says, "Oh, like what are they going to do? Go into a Shakespearean like drama, like soliloquy about what their motivations are?" I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds good, actually. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you can you explain what they're what they're thinking at this moment? Because I don't understand." It was and a pretty good Shakespearean scene. It too. was. I wanted to go back and see if it was written in iambic pentameter but i did not (laughs) i I am not a shakespearean like scholar i don't know if i could be able to tell that um but the only like explanation they ever really get to about like about motivation is lynn talking to cheney about him like having to turn his life around right but how can you extrapolate that to oh i want to have unfiltered executive power and like rule as if i was a king you know like what is how does that how does that conversation with lynn saying you need to become someone translate or twist at all into i need to become the most powerful person in the world right right like if he had uh, i don't know like if he had a control problem right when maybe when he was a little kid or or something or maybe in his relationship with lynn she always wore the pants and made him feel inferior right and now he wants to take control of as much as he can and so like that grabs on more but i'm i'm in i I, there's no evidence for that you know in the text maybe if he was like i don't know uh maybe if he saw somebody with a lot of power and the amount of good they did right and they did it because they were unregulated and saw like, oh, maybe if one good person gets into a position of power, they can do so much better than like a committee of people. You know, maybe if that, maybe if you saw something like that and believe that so wholeheartedly, then we would get it. I think there actually is a real reason that Dick Cheney did this, but we can talk about that later. But in the movie, they offer no real explanation for that. 
Well, it's because he's a true like villain, right? Right. He he's a true evil person. Yeah, he just wants more power a, to abuse it. Isn't that what Christian Bale said when he like he like won some? Yeah, I saw he was on some news show or something, or maybe he was winning an award. And he well, said well, that he, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that one because okay. I think I have I think I have that in our, my cool Easter okay, egg. Okay, well you you're gonna yeah you you can give me more context then. Okay, so I think the last thing I want to touch on is the directing. I think the directing in this movie is incredible, absolutely amazing. There are two scenes in particular that really stand out to me. They're really small scenes, um, really simple, but I think they just convey so much so simply, and I'm going to take you through that. So the first one that I want to talk about is that scene where he first gets into the, um, the White House, and he's in the, his own office, and he's in that tiny little cramped office, and he calls Lynn and tells her, like, I finally made it. And there's this, tie, there's this little moment where he leans, he hangs up with Lynn, and he leans back in the chair, and it hits the back wall. And it's so, it's like, first, it's a reminder. This office is tiny. It doesn't really do anything. He doesn't actually have whatever power he has, right? But the expression on, on Dick Cheney's face never changes. It's this, like, pure, like, joy almost of, like, oh, I finally have done it. And even when he's reminded that he's in this tiny office, that never, that doesn't fade at all. And then the phone rings and he picks it up and he says, Dick Cheney's office, which lets this, this hint of pride, right? Oh, like I've actually, I'm in the place I wanted to be. I achieved the thing I wanted to achieve, even though it looks like we are in a tiny little cramped office with no windows. I am on my way to achieving my, my dreams, right? And all of that is conveyed in like a couple of seconds. And they don't have to say, you know, there's no scene where Christian Bale says, oh, this office is small now, but just you wait, Donald Rumsfeld. I'll soon be in the Oval <laughs> Office. You know, he doesn't have to say that. It's, it's easily shown there. And it's so subtle that you take it all in without really even realizing what they're doing. I love that. I absolutely love it. The other scene that I really want to talk about is the one where he picks up the phone. This is right after the fake credits roll. The phone rings and he picks up the phone to answer and it's uh, George W. Bush's office. So the scene is, is very simple. Um, it's Dick, the phone is in the foreground, and then Dick Cheney's is right behind it. And then in the background, there's this picture of two dogs. Uh, but you can only see one of the dogs in the scene at, at a time. So he's standing there, and, there's a, and he's answering the phone. And there's a little dog that's like kind of yipping. It's like looking up um, into the air and, and on this painting in the background. And... As, as he's on the phone, he's very humble. He's very like apologetic almost. Um, he's very modest about what he's talking about. At the end, he says, thank you twice. He says, thank you. And then he says, no, thank you. Um, and then he walks to the back part of the frame to talk to Lynn about the phone. And as he does that, you see the rest of the painting, which is a giant dog with a big stick standing over the little dog. And I think this can convey several things. First of all, Maybe it's Dick Cheney's internal or external appearance as the little dog, simply looking up to the big dog, right? And then when he steps away, you realize that actually he is the big dog and that he is just pretending to be the little dog. Or it could be that uh, George Bush is the little dog who's calling him, asking for advice, and, and Dick Cheney's happy to play that role. But when you pull away... It's the big, he turns out to be the big dog. And when you see what he's actually thinking and when he talks to Lynn about what's really going on, you can see that the big dog with the big stick has all of the power um, instead. It's so cool. I like, like that. I the like camera that. doesn't change at all. It doesn't move at all. All that happens is Dick Cheney moves from one side of the room to the other. And you, 
see all of that and you're 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 you get all of these like different interpretations from what it is and maybe there's more that i'm not thinking of right now yeah there's lots of other visual metaphors throughout this movie which i think we'll talk about in a second but first that is such a simple way to convey a really interesting and deep like idea and it's done so expertly throughout this movie and those are the only two that like really stood out to me there's so many others that portray certain emotions that do it so subtly that you don't even really pick up on it i love that stuff no i think it's a great thing to appreciate and this movie does a lot of unconventional things uh i mean while we're talking about directing i want to talk about adam mckay and just who is adam mckay because maybe the name doesn't ring a bell but you probably actually are familiar with him you being the listener in this case i'm very sure you know who adam mckay is joey but like he was the head writer for snl for two seasons which definitely puts him in the correct lane for criticizing politicians oh yeah um, <laughs> but also he directed anchorman anchorman 2 talladega nights stepbrothers the other guys and in a, a little bit more of the realm of this film he directed the big short so um a lot of comedy a lot of great movies in his uh portfolio here um but also yeah. definitely an implied like by being on snl kind of an implied lib or not even just liberal but just an implied political bias i would say right so um i like my question when i first saw that, that this name adam mckay he's the director i was like what gives him uh the right you know or what gives what qualifies him as somebody who could make this and aside from being a great director i'm saying specifically uh to dick telling this story yeah. yeah um and i feel like it, a lot of it just becomes you know he's in that realm of kind of like uh, especially after the big short kind of like bringing maybe lesser known information to light and also doing it in kind of a way that criticizes the subject matter so um but I like I definitely like his directing style. There's movies full of unconventional scenes that stick in your brain um, and, and almost kind of, uh, you know, they mark themselves as a different part of the movie. For instance, rolling credits at 49 minutes in. Pretty uh, good. <laughs> that was hilarious. Very interesting choice. Um, definitely something you'll remember when you get out of this movie. And also a really great argument for Dick Cheney could have called it a career and still been totally fine. Like totally had a, like would have had a great record at that point and uh, could have done a lot less. This implies a lot that somehow the world would be just fine if Dick Cheney had taken a step back. I I don't think anybody thinks that's true, but uh, you know, it is something that you can make the argument. He didn't have to play such a big role in the future. Also, like we said, the Shakespeare in bed scene totally takes you out of the film. You're like, wait, what is going on here? <laughs> Everybody is suddenly speaking in potentially iambic pentameter. This is, um, you know, that it's like no, nobody expected that when they sat down. The no. the dinner menu scene where I think it's a creative way to express a lot of different crooked ideas that Cheney and his cronies were trying to, uh, you know, get across. So, I mean, that's another one that sticks in my head. Oh yeah, uh, and just like the the general like like glee at which they were indulging in this, right? You know? It was not so much like oh we have to do this for the betterment of society. It's like oh can we do this? Right, let's do it. Let's you indulge. Know? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, obviously, the last 
or like the very towards the end of the movie when Dick Cheney breaks the fourth wall to appeal to the audience himself. That was another one where uh, you know it totally. Uh, that's a oh man, that scene is crazy. Yes, and it, again, it sticks with you as well as if you stay for the, any portion of the credits, you'll see the focus group at the end, and now suddenly the focus group is talking about this movie. All these things are kind of you know uh, unexpected. Uh, turns that I think keep this movie fresh and, and memorable where even if you don't remember exactly what order they happened in, you're like, I definitely remember that scene happening, uh, which I think is important in a movie, especially one that's like two hours long. So Absolutely. this brings me to, well, okay. So the whole time I'm watching vice or, or really anything historical ever is wondering if anything I'm seeing is true. Yeah, which is really frustrating because it, it doesn't feel like I can ever get to a point where I really know what's going on. There's certain things that are obviously verifiable, There's, but there's, other, there's plenty of other things where it's difficult to know for sure. So here's a few things that through reading PolitiFact's um, article on this, this other article I found on called History versus Hollywood, um, and also just reading on Wikipedia, here's some of the things I found this movie got wrong. Okay, hmm. so... Um, although the Bush White House was organized in ways that gave Cheney's office much more leverage than previous vice presidents, nobody's contesting that, Cheney saying his team would get daily intelligence briefings before the president so they can get inside the decision curve is not backed up by any evidence. Um, Cheney had influence and certainly recruited many senior officials across the government, but he did not run some kind of rogue deep state. That's what PolitiFact says. Mm. So even though this movie kind of makes it seemed like Dick Cheney is just the puppet master behind Bush in a lot of ways he was, but we shouldn't let George Bush be blameless and pretend that all of the Bush administration decisions were Cheney because that's not true. The truth Dick, uh, George Bush was in fact the president still. Uh, but the, uh, like something that is important that uh, this movie, it wouldn't exist if this wasn't true. Cheney did have unprecedented power as VP. No, he's right, the most and he did man. have. I mean, he didn't he have all those representatives and all those other organizations throughout, right? Yes. I mean, he had the he had all of his cronies in high places, you know. So, like, I guess, like, when you say like it's not a rogue state or like a, a shadow government, like, I guess it depends on your de- definition. That's definitely true, and and that's going to be that was one of the most frustrating things about researching any of this was it was like trying to get all the f- opinions together because this is mm. something that you could argue is an opinion, and you could say that the vice president making any of these decisions defines a, a rogue deep state, but um, it, it was again this is just the consensus they came to on Politifact is that this movie does embellish a little bit of Cheney's power uh, inside the Bush White House. Um, another scene that is pure fiction or not a, let me rephrase that another scene that is historically inaccurate is the discussion between Cheney and young Antonin Scalia in the 1970s that never happened and the um, unitary executive theory wasn't even really apparently wasn't even really uh, like a, a phrase that was used yet that wasn't mm. really um, so it was a little bit early for that although it works for the film it's like that never happened. So, and they don't make it clear that that this is totally fictional. Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to, for them to include, though, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, the only payoff to that is that he turns out to be on the Supreme Court, which is what they say in there anyway. Yes, but and it could have been any lawyer, right? Like, yes. It, well, it's interesting because Scalia was a little bit more prominent while they're making this film because he had just died. 
and right. it caused all this mess with trying to find another Supreme Court justice. So it could have been just capitalizing on re- on like the recency of Scalia's death. Um, I'm not to, not to say that Scalia was totally unimportant, but uh, this conversation definitely did not happen. Right. The um, an- this one and this for me is the most egregious mistake in this film. The film implies that Lynn Cheney's father murdered her mother. And there's absolutely no evidence to provide provided for this assertion. There, the conspiracy is uh, this is a conspiracy theory, plain and simple. Um, mm. Lynn Cheney's father actually uh, drank himself to death uh, less than two years after uh, her mother or his wife died, and the Cheney family believes is because he was so you know torn up that she died, not right. that he was some sort of murderer. So. I don't understand why they would put that in here or it didn't really seem to be all that relevant to me in the film. So it's baseless conspiracies like that really rock my uh, confidence in the place I'm getting information from. Yeah, yeah. I think that was supposed to show his another scene where Cheney is dedicating himself to his family, right? And like willing to stand up for what he thinks is right. I don't know. like. It's it could have been a moment of self reflection at least you know I don't think he's he doesn't he's not shown to drink much after that I think he kind of gives up alcohol after his DUIs and stuff or at least kind of the there's implication there but um, yeah other than that like it's just there to kind of slander <laughs> Lynn Cheney's father right it's like okay sure <laughs> he didn't really he's not really on the same level as Dick Cheney but sure whatever yeah. Um, so yeah, that one I think is the most egregious, which you know you could say in the big scheme of things is not all that important when you're trying to talk about the Bush administration. But at the same time, sure. um, just th- its presence in this film adds a, l- a little bit of doubt over the whole thing because then you're like, okay, well, if you're willing to take this creative liberty, what else are you not telling me about? Exactly. Um, another one is uh, the film shows Bush Sr. thanking Cheney in 1987 for convincing the House not to override President Reagan's veto of the Fairness Doctrine. And I actually didn't even know that we had the Fairness Doctrine, but it's like the movie explains a law from 1949 that required broadcast radio and television outlets to present both sides of an issue equally. This still exists in other countries, or similar legislation. Um, and some people, well, and the movie kind of makes the case that this is why we have Fox News and stuff. But the fact is, it's cer- it's almost certainly untrue that Cheney was the reason that the House didn't um, override the president's veto. He wasn't even the GOP whip yet. Uh, so he wouldn't have been the guy in charge of putting that kind of consensus together. Maybe he played some small part, but, uh, you know, according to... Uh, I think this one was PolitiFact, there's no evidence of it. So they were just Mm. saying, they were kind of just trying to tie him to the rise of Fox News in this movie, which, um, you know, you can make, you could try to bring up the point of the problematic uh, divisiveness of news in America, Fox News and otherwise. But I think that this is not a, there's no connection uh, from the fairness doctrine to Dick Cheney to Fox News, it just doesn't mm. exist, and it's total conjecture. Um, also, yeah, that's interesting. It comes up several times though, because because Roger Ailes shows up right um, early on in the, in the film, and then later on, uh, 
Cheney is, is counseling Rumsfeld on the soft touch, right? And he says that we have the conservative outlets to to do that for that. And it sort of implies that he's been planning this for such a long time, right? That like he's set up, uh, he set up the opportunity for a uh, right wing news organization to push their narrative with, so they can do things in the background. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah, and, and at the same, I mean, um, to cap it off, as a cable television channel, there it's unlikely that Fox News even would have been restricted by the fairness doctrine. Really? Because uh, it's not because it's not like over the airwaves. I, I this was just according to what I've read. Another thing that's problematic about doing this kind of research is I am not a legal scholar, so <laughs> I just have to take what the lawyers that are writing this are saying as truth. Um, which again shakes my confidence even more in uh, anything that I'm I'm trying to understand through this. So um, whether you're just standing on this crumbling wall, <laughs> I yeah. The the more and more I researched, the less and less confident I was. Um, and I, I've only got one more for you, but again, like blaming Cheney for the creation of ISIS, like trying to put that all on him, is kind of unfair. Uh, by just by making the assertion that because Cheney did make sure that Abu Musab al Zarqawi was mentioned prominently in that speech that uh, Colin Powell gave, there were definitely other factors in the creation of ISIS, and they killed um, al Zarqawi in like 2005, I believe, and really? ISIS continued to be hugely prominent after that. Um, and you can even see evidence. I mean, this is a famous thing that politicians do is blame each other for creating ISIS. Trump did this a lot <laughs> in 2016. He has a hilarious quote, hilarious to me, where he was like, Hillary Clinton created ISIS with Obama. Created with Obama. Like, that was like just, that's how he proved it. And while it is important, you know, Cheney's very involved in a Middle East conflict, and there's, you know, he's just blamed to be assigned there, but the movie is a little bit um, one-track-minded in saying it's like, it's Cheney who created ISIS, the end. Um, mm. Which, again, it's like, opinions are, are definitely in there, and different people interpret the way, like, how things happened in different ways. It's just frustrating that it's so hard to get to the truth. And I think for the purposes of trying to educate people on who dick cheney was and what dick cheney did i think his movie does a pretty good job but there these are just some of the things that were wrong there were other things that people pointed yeah. out and said it's wrong but i found like conflicting evidence where someone was like actually technically it's more right than wrong and uh, it's just really hard to ever come to a consensus and say this there's a lot this movie definitely did get wrong and potentially more um so i don't know it just for me, the whole time it was hard to shake this feeling of I'm potentially being pandered to or lied to, right. and how productive is it to really engage with that kind of media? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the affable chat, uh, like pitch, right? Is do your own research, definitely. So yeah, find out for yourself. I, and I don't want to just say this movie did everything wrong. I think this movie got a lot right, and especially the general. Uh, storyline i think that they do stick to they adhere to what we all agree happened um here's a couple of interesting things that i think i think they're interesting that they actually did get right representative cheney from wyoming did vote no on mlk day in 1979 but they didn't mention that he did vote yes on it in 1983 when it actually passed it mm. was it fell short of passing in the house by five votes in 79 uh and cheney was a part of that so i think wow. it's important to bring up but um it did pass in 83 and cheney was a part of making sure that it did 
I love that the argument I read that the main arguments that people who voted no said was people can't we can't afford to have a federal holiday. It's too expensive to have people not go to work. So they're doing it for the economy and they're doing what? it for the Right, dude? It's such garbage. Like it is and that was what the argument that flew Who's, in nineteen seventy nine. Like expensive to who? Uh businesses that they'd have to give uh people days off. And the I, I that's I, that was like what I read. So what? <laughs> all right, because it's all a right, federal holiday. Um, okay. Actually, it, it might have even been an argument that the the government couldn't afford. But anyways, it passed eventually, and Dick Cheney did vote yes. So um, it, the movie was accurate, but they also conveniently left out Cheney's reversal of this opinion eventually. Right. Right. Um, another thing, Dick Cheney did drive a VW Beetle in the ni- in the mid nineteen seventies, which as like a tr- true like red-blooded american conservative can seem like a kind of odd choice it's like why aren't you driving a chevy but (laughs) he did in fact drive a vw beetle so the fact that they keep that going and they even have rumsfeld call it a i think like a babe magnet or something that's all very much um real the real dick cheney did drive a vw beetle um also speaking of dick cheney driving a car he was convicted of uh, a DWI driving while under the influence in 1962 and was arrested again in 1963 for the same thing. Wow. So, so that really did happen. So that really did happen, which I think is that's the kind of dragging through the mud I can get behind is <laughs> real crimes with that are I mean, driving while under the influence is horrible. So uh, I, the movie definitely gets that one spot on. Another one that they get spot on, Cheney did openly support his daughter's sexuality and supported same-sex marriage publicly, but he later, just like in the movie, he later did reverse that and supported his other daughter, um, Liz, in her congressional run where she was openly opposed to same-sex marriage. And and again, it's like in the in the show, they have her talking about that on their fake news media um or rather just kind of invented i don't want to say fake because they're not trying to push fake news in the sense that it's untrue but it's this you know imagined version of fox news that's even though that is imagined that conversation the context is still real the con uh not the context but the content uh, content is still very real she she did openly oppose same-sex marriage while she had a uh her, a her sister. sister's a lesbian. So, well, um, yeah. What's interesting is that she did lose that election, though, because that was that was, she was running for Senate. Um, it uh, what's it in nineteen seventy four? What? Uh, sorry, <laughs> two thousand fourteen. <laughs> two thousand fourteen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where I got that number. Uh, but then she she later went ran and is currently sitting in the House in uh, twenty sixteen. Right. Definitely. Um, which so it, even though she took that, you know, she took that. Uh, that risk of going against her, her sister, which turned out to be a whole mess because like they were fighting in the public eye together. And, um, but she ended up losing that election anyway. Well, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting too, because Dick Cheney was wildly unpopular by the end of the Bush administration, but Liz was still able to overcome that and, and make it into, uh, Congress. Uh, a couple more things that we definitely got right. Cheney did shoot his friend in the face and then his friend apologized. Um, although Cheney also was remorseful about that. So mm. even though they don't show that, Dick Cheney has had public words that were like, <laughs> he is not, he definitely wasn't totally cold to this guy. He, he said that he felt bad about it. He said I it was one of the worst days of his life. 
I think that I read somewhere that that scene you see in the movie is from the act from the actual incident. Like that, that actually is a um, not of the shooting, but when he apologizes um, on air, that's actually oh. that's real news footage. Yeah, I believe it. Um, and then lastly, Frank Luntz came up with climate change and death tax as terms that were used, uh, you know, in the focus groups and, and genius, honestly, used to change the public discourse. Yes, very, very genius. And we have I'm going to post the PolitiFact article that I found on this. It was one that was referenced heavily in other uh, YouTube videos and articles that I read about people trying to just dis- like discern fact from fiction in this film. So um, as well as some of the other resources I used. Um, cool. I, I've, I think I gave the proper amount of confidence in my own research, which is shaky at best. <laughs> Very not good. <laughs> but um, that's how I feel about this whole movie. And that's a lot of times how I just feel about fi- uh, fiction, about history in general, uh, because it is, it is really difficult to tell fact from fiction sometimes. Yes. All right. So uh, one other thing I want to mention before we move on, uh, this is from The New Yorker. They were talking about what this movie got right and what they got wrong. And they said, they have this really interesting quote. It said, uh, Vice treats conservatism as a combination of resistance to civil rights movement, the Koch brothers' eagerness to reduce taxes and regulations, and pure opportunism. Cheney's conservatism, at heart, is none of these. It is what we might call threatism. Powerful, determined, immensely destructive forces, the Soviet Union, radical Islam, the domestic left, want to destroy American freedom and democracy. Complacent politicians, especially liberal ones, are incapable either of understanding this or summoning the will to combat it. For the small cadre who do understand, it is imperative to use power unusually quietly or unusually quietly, expertly, and aggressively. So this reflects that final uh, quote in the movie, which we'll, we'll get to in a, later, a little, little bit later. But uh, threatism is explains a lot of Cheney's actions in this movie, that he's attempting to mobilize the executive branch to be more effective to combat threats, not just to gain power. Um, And from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. And I feel like if they had done that, we might have come away with this with a little bit more of a nuanced understanding of Dick Cheney. Maybe we would have disagreed with his actions, but maybe we would have understood why he did the things he did. Whereas the movie, as it stands, you're a little bit less... You're not quite as understanding about why he does the things he does besides just pure greed, right? So, I, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I thought, I thought that added some more context that I appreciated. Yeah, and I, I definitely, when you spell it out like that, I definitely agree. That at least seems like his motivation in this. Because um, you don't, you know, the, the monsters that are out there. But we'll, we'll get to that quote. Uh, for now, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. Joey, what do you got? Um, first, I just want to, little appreciation for the fishing lures in the credits they have all those little like fishing lures and obviously it's a reference to the this distraction tactic that cheney is very fond of well um and the fishing metaphor that they're constantly pushing apparently dick cheney is a really big fan of angle fishing angle fishing Mm. which angler fishing. well i i was i was confused because i thought it was called fly fishing but apparently it's called angle or the style he did is called angle fishing and his secret service nickname or code name was angler there's actually they say that in the movie yeah there's and there's actually a book called angler about the about dick cheney during the bush presidency although it is not 
credited as the book that this movie is based off of. In some of my research, people were like, it's clearly the the book that this is based off of, but there's no, the, the directors said it's not. Or they didn't say specifically that it is. They just said they based the movie on a Dick Cheney book, and there are plenty of other Dick Cheney books that people say that more closely resemble this movie. So, um, but Secret City, yeah. That's cool. It is obviously because he's in, so interested in angle fishing. Yeah, yeah. And the little lures are all like things you recognize, like look like guns or security cameras or, or like other things too, um, which is fun. Um, and it's, it's cool because at first they look like just normal fishing lures, and you're like, Wait a second. That's not well, when I was looking. <laughs> I was that? like, "Does this work? Do fish really like get attracted to this?" I just, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm staring at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, last, uh, my other quote or uh, cool Easter egg. Sorry, is um, from the fake credits. Uh, they have a couple of things that I really, really like at the end, where they're because throughout the movie they're showing little title text to explain what's going on or what's happening next. And so they have this one. It says, uh, "Dick's heart has never been healthier, and he rarely, he regularly competes in Ironman competitions." At this, this is the point where it starts to turn. Where you're like, "Hold on, is this real?" <laughs> and then you're you're starting pulling up like, "How long have I been watching this movie?" And then the, the next one I think is even better. Lynn and Dick are happy and wealthy and live in Virginia, where they breed award-winning golden retrievers. It's just like ah, the perfect American <laughs> dream, right? I can see those like them playing with their dogs in slow motion behind a white picket fence in my mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. What, um, what do you got? So um, this one is like this is the most uh, you know just generic of Easter egg fun facts, but uh, Dick Cheney and Christian Bale have the same birthday on january 30th so wow interesting maybe this part he was born to play this part uh and then also you could say the stars of a line yes and same uh same zodiac sign right yes at least partially have you ever actually done your whole <laughs> like uh oh, astrological like di- deep dive chart about like what your name what your birthday means no or like what time of day yeah yeah it gets so detailed uh, i don't actually know what what time i was born at so I get kind of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, obviously they'd have a different astrological chart slightly, but you're right. The same Zodiac sign for sure. Um, and my other fun fact is I actually watched the Golden Globes. I never watched the Golden Globes, but for some reason I did this year or that year. And um, I heard Christian Bale's acceptance speech when he won Best Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. And in his acceptance speech, he thanked Satan for inspiring him, which wow. I thought was <laughs> hilarious, but also definitely pandering to his audience and intentionally infuriating the other side. I remember um, Ben Shapiro being pretty torn up about this whole thing at the time. Of course. So, ben Shapiro loves movies. So. Yeah. Oh, he's such a great critic of all culture, not just movies. Just ask him to review music. Um, but... <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, and actually another interesting thing in that acceptance speech that I liked was uh, Christian Bale saying that he would like to play Mitch McConnell at some point. Oh, wow. Which I definitely think, if you liked Vice or if you think that Vice was justified, I would argue that a Mitch McConnell biopic will eventually be justified as well. This guy... He doesn't look anything like Mitch McConnell. Right, and it's, you know, maybe maybe he's not the right actor for it, but uh, Mitch McConnell is very... <laughs> I mean, he's like a all-time great for the conservative movement. So oh, it's, yeah. if you're a fan of that, then you love this guy. And if you're not a fan of that, then he would make an amazing villain. Uh, 
akin to Dick Cheney. So I uh, it was an interesting award speech. It definitely caused a media like kerfuffle at the time. Not just the acceptance speech, but the movie in general was very divisive immediately. Um, with obviously people who uh, were a little bit more right leaning feeling like it was kind of unfair to Dick Cheney. So um, we'll keep it moving now to our quotable moments. And Joey, I believe you have the first one. I do. All right. And uh, this is the scene where Lynn gives uh, Dick Cheney his uh, pep talk. So I will be Lynn and you can be Dick Cheney. Okay. Okay. Here's my plan. All right. Either you stand up straight and you get your back straight and you have the courage to become someone or I'm gone. I know a dozen guys and a few professors at school who would date me. I love you, Lynn. Then prove it. Prove it. I can't go to a big Ivy League school and I can't run a company or be mayor. That's just the way the world is for a girl. I need you. And right now, you're a big, fat, piss-soaked zero. So, yeah... This is, serves as, I guess, our entire motivation for our character of Dick Cheney. This is the point where he turns his life around and discovers his love for politics and his love for serving power, as stated later in the movie. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I do really like the relationship that he has with his family and his relationship with Lynn. Um, later on, when they're having that, that Shakespearean uh, thing together, they're talking about how, like, if one when what one of them achieves, they both achieve, and this is true from this moment, right? That as Dick Cheney becomes more prominent, Lynn also grows in prominence and power, and she you see that she's on some prominent board or something later in the movie, and she's got all this extra you know power uh, simply by being a politician's wife. Oh yeah, and she's written and a lot of books, fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. yeah, so like all of that is boosted by like Dick Cheney's prominence and his. And it seems as if I think it's I think it's an interesting way to frame it, at least that his entire motivation is just to be, impress her and to serve her. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, and I like the uh, I do really like what she says here about him, uh, like putting it to him, right, saying that she that he is nothing right now, but he needs to become something um, and he needs to prove her his love to her. So it's a, it's a good scene. It, it really is. I agree. All right, I got the next one. You can be uh, the uh, Democrat from my uh, the, oh, Democratic oh, I'm the other intern from you're the other intern University from of Wyoming. Wyoming, right? Right. Okay, you start. Rumsfeld is flip, 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 flip. A Republican. Perfect, because that's what I am. So this is this in a combination with another quote, uh, which I'll say now, which is where um, Dick Cheney is talking to Rumsfeld um, and he asks him, what, what do we believe? And <laughs> this is like late, I, later in Dick Cheney's like intern political career, right? This is pretty far along in that. This is not the first day that he, <laughs> he asked this question. Um, but it's just kind of this idea that he has no real ideology and he's only really after power. And Rumsfeld's um, reaction to that is just to lock him out of the room and laugh in his <laughs> face because he thinks that the idea of believing in something is a distraction and that you, like, that's something for the liberals to do, not for people that actually want to get things done. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a um, truthful thing. It's something that I 
secretly believe about many conservative uh, politicians that they don't actually believe in anything. Um, and it certainly reaffirmed that for me. But I don't know if that's really what Dick Cheney believes. I think that the idea of like kind of hollow um, conservatism in a way, conservatism as a mask for something else is a more recent thing as money has become more and more prominent in our politics. Um, and Dick Cheney is definitely an old school Republican. And based on his, based on that, that, that uh, article I read from the New Yorker too, I'm more inclined to believe that he actually does have something that he believes in, um, but uh, it's not really shown here. I, um, I actually have, I want to continue on this uh, talking about Cheney's belief with this next quote. So um, okay, this is from the narrator. Uh, when he's uh, speaking. So let me just go ahead. The unitary executive theory. Certain legal scholars believe that if the president does anything, it must be legal because he's the president. To hell with checks and balances, especially during times of war. This was the power of kings, pharaohs, dictators. Dick Cheney was a foot soldier in the power games of Washington, D.C., but with the unitary executive theory, he could become Galactus, devourer of planets. So at this point, they're literally making Cheney into a cartoon villain, uh, which I think is kind <laughs> of an oversimplification. It goes along with this, like, not believing in anything. Like, he just wants to amass power so that he can cause suffering and destruction, which to yeah. a lot of people... They're like, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> you know, and they, that, that are familiar with Dick Cheney, they could make the argument that he doesn't deserve a better uh, you know, explanation of his beliefs based on uh, the results, you know, of what he actually did. Right. I think you could make the argument that, like, just look at his actions, right? Yes. And what do his actions say? Who cares what he believes, right? Or what he right. says he believes. What he's done supports this. Sure. But I would also say that it might be more compelling <laughs> to try to humanize him and say, actually, this is why he did it, not necessarily because he is just a complete um, villain. So again, just like having them say, what do we believe and pretending that all conservatives conter or uh, Republicans are just totally um, faking it and that they're doing it just for some other uh, underneath reason. Um, I, I think that this just adds to that same argument that the movie is trying to just make Cheney, the ultimate cartoon villain, and all he wants is more power so he can cause more pain and destruction, which probably isn't true, uh, <laughs> even if you can justify it with some of the things Cheney did. Yeah, and he certainly does cause a lot of pain and destruction. I mean, there's lots of things that he's done that directly caused that, right? But to comparing him to Galactus, I feel like it's not, it's like not an appropriate you know, comparison. I feel like there's other cartoon villains that more accurately depict him. Maybe like a Loki or something, you know? Yeah, sure. And, and, and I mean, while we're talking about the unitary executive theory, I'm not about to get into the legal arguments about whether or not this interpretation is accurate. But it is one of the more contentious issues from this movie where various people argue that's not what he meant by unitary executive theory. Mm. You know, so I, I don't have any ground to stand on to be a participant in that argument. But based on what I can understand and what I can verify as false in fact, I'm not confident that what they were trying to push forward is 100% accurate. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess this kind of brings me to another, uh, another like, idea in this movie, which is like, how much should we pay attention to politics? 
um, it, it sort of implies at the beginning and then at the end again that like Americans can't or don't pay enough attention to politics and then stuff gets eroded away, right? And Cheney uh, had this, was very single-minded at what he wanted to achieve. And, you know, regardless of what he wanted to achieve, he did increase executive power um, uh, over the course of his career. And I guess my question is like, first of all, how much should we really pay attention to politics? Like how much are we expected to? And then is what Dick Cheney did really that difficult if you look at it from like a long time scale thing right because i think when i when i first learned about how america was set up like in in elementary school or middle school or whatever i was under the impression that like we hired people to care about politics for us and that was what like representatives were right we were like okay I don't have to pay attention to every single minute detail and everything. I just have to make sure that the person that I'm electing will will vote in the in my interests, right? And that will and that person will look out for me and then if they do something wrong, then we vote them out and put somebody else who will do it in, right? That was the extent that I needed to pay attention. Clearly that's not really true because the people that want to become representatives have their own agendas and want to do things and want to at least convince people that they have everyone's best interest at heart, but really are pushing their own things, right? And we have to be careful of that. And so that means we have to pay closer attention. What Dick Cheney achieved uh, was, was basically like, at least from the trail of this movie, looking for opportunities and then seizing those opportunities, right? He was like, okay, I'm going to sit here and be patient for something to come up. And then when it does, I'm going to try to take advantage of that opportunity to push my agenda of um, more executive power. And over the course of, you know, 50 years, that's, or, you know, however long, 30, 40 years, you know, I feel like lots of opportunities come up and he can slowly do that. And if he's doing that in the background, you know, he's doing that as a minor representative or a senator or even as vice president, people aren't paying that close attention. And so when those, those things erode, it's easier for him to do that, right? So I would say, like, I, I, like I admire his, um, it's, hard, it's, it's difficult to say that I admire anything about Dick Cheney after watching this movie, but I admire his single-mindedness in trying to achieve something and being so focused on that. But if you're so focused on that and you have all this power, did what he achieved really, is it really that difficult of a thing if people aren't really holding you to account? Yeah. It's one of the most frustrating things about keeping up with politics is just like you can be so informed and then feel like you can't have an influence that makes you just want to give up and just be like, well, I don't even want to pay attention anymore. But this yeah. stuff is real and it does matter. So it's um, yeah, I don't know if I have an answer for you. Like, how much should we be paying attention to politics? Probably more. <laughs> but <laughs> that seems like a good place to start. Yeah, <laughs> probably more. OK, this next one. Uh, we're probably not going to do much justice to, but I'm going to try anyway. Okay. Okay. This is um, the scene right after Dick Cheney uh, picks up the phone and answers the phone from uh, George Bush's office, saying that they want him to be president or vice president. Obviously, he doesn't say that explicitly, but Dick Cheney recognizes the tone and the context of the uh, phone call and realizes that that's what they're going to ask him. So he says to this is a conversation between him and Lynn. Um, and he says, it's just a meeting. It's just a meeting. It's just a meeting. Good. I, like the tone and the way that they talk at, at this point, it just really, um, 
shows how well written this movie is. It's the same words repeated three times, and yet the way that they say it, it like like shows how he's convincing her or breaking her down or 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 making a case for his argument, right? Without really saying much more than changing the inflection of his voice. It's pretty cool. I I think it's a great example of how well written this movie is. Yeah, Even I think it was a powerful such a scene for simple sure. Simple dialogue. Yeah. It's like that's the thing. It's like Adam McKay like has all this at his disposal, right? He's the writer and director of this movie. So when he writes something like this, he can get people to say it exactly the way he's thinking it and that uh, like is elevated by the acting in this movie. And it makes dialogue like this stand out because even though it's simple, it's the the acting just elevates it to a new level and creates this whole new meaning to it. That's awesome. Okay. My next uh, quote is uh, from, again, Dick Cheney. Who would have thought? And <laughs> it's between him and George W. Bush. This is when he's having that conversation on George W.'s uh, ranch that he bought to be, seem more relatable. So um, you're going to be Dick, I'll be Bush. Yes. Now, I just practiced my Dick Cheney voice. Now... Maybe I can uh, handle some of the more mundane jobs, overseeing bureaucracy, managing military, uh, energy, uh, foreign policy. The, that sounds good. <laughs> you did better than I did. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, uh, they showed this earlier in the movie about how he's like a really suave negotiator and how he can like say certain things and people are just convinced by it um and this is a, a great example of that he says exactly what he wants um he doesn't like beat around the bush too much at this point he has you know all the fishing metaphors have come to fruition you know he's let out the line he's the bait is right there in front of him and he says i want to make i want to manage everything uh bureaucracy that's all the government uh military that's like one of the key like key commander parts. in chief yes yeah. energy like the like how everyone can do anything like <laughs> and like that's almost all of like domestic policy I, maybe not all but a lot of domestic policy is managing energy and then foreign policy which is like everything else so like what's left i guess you know throwing balls out at the at ball at ball games like uh pardoning the thanksgiving turkey like <laughs> <laughs> well actually i thought it was interesting that they used the the lure metaphor so heavily in this scene where uh they have the freeze frame of the barbecue kind of looking like a fishing lure mm. on the outside of bush's lip like that's when he really hooked him uh, because the way that Bush reacts is it's almost like hearing the smart kid in the group project wants to do everything themselves. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do the fun parts. You can do the, the hard parts. Um, so, but it is definitely heavily uh, shown the metaphor of him really hooking Bush here and really catching oh, yeah. him. Yeah, and I appreciated that. I like those visual metaphors. I think they, they work really well, and it creates this uh, more interesting movie. Um, it's just amazing that like everything turns on this one point, you know, all of the work that Cheney had built up for his whole career and then playing up the whole like VP search thing and everything led to this moment and then that moment changes the course of history forever. All right. I got one more. No, I got two more quotes. Uh, my next one, uh, is, um, they're sitting in the Oval Office. And I think the first, I think this one is uh, David Addington, um, Cheney's uh, lawyer. And then the next part is from Cheney himself. 
Um, so I'm start. Addington? You're Addington. You should start. Okay. The U.S. doesn't torture. Therefore, if the U.S. does it, it can't be torture. Um, that sounds airtight is, to me. Yes, it's a tautology, <laughs> but it, I think it's supposed to reflect the unitary executive theory, right? And that it's, um, it, the, the conclusion supports its premise. Like the idea that you can't, it's just not possible by semantic reasons for it to be torture because uh, like, it's not possible that for us to actually perform torture. It's backwards and very strange. Yeah, and I, it's, so, it's such, so important this movie brings up, uh, what did they call them, enhanced interrogations? Right. Because, yeah, this is one of the most prominent and terrible things that happened during the Bush administration. It, it's, that, it's that classic quote from that British comedy show where they're like, wait, are we the baddies? You know? <laughs> and it's the web look, yeah, with yeah, uh, David Mitchell. Yeah, definitely, because we're so concerned with all the evil and the terrible things that other, you know, these um, chaotic terrorists are doing across the country or across the world, and we're doing some very heinous stuff and pretending that we're still up on our high horse. I mean, do you have any idea how many governments the U.S. has overthrown or, like, the CIA has overthrown? Right. Like the CIA threw overthrew prominent leadership in Australia. Like, why? <laughs> all you have to do is spend a few hours on TikTok and you'll eventually find all the uh the leftists who are, you know, 17 years old and and talking about this stuff. But it's so true, you know? A lot of times we like to pretend we're the greatest and we're the, we're without fault. And we even do a bit on this show where I always try to pitch America as the greatest country and I get pissed off if foreign films don't include us. Um, but the truth of the matter is we're far from perfect. And mm -hmm. this movie brings up some of the worst stuff that we do. Um, and I, it's important that we recognize that as well. Radio Lab recently did a, like a, a, a series, like I said, a five or six episode series about Guantanamo Bay. Um, and it was, it's chilling. I mean, just the amount of stuff that has flown under the radar. Um, and what's, what's so frustrating about listening to it is like they, they had this certain plan and it's working perfectly. And that's simply out of sight, out of mind, you know, yep. they put it on this, you know, little space outside of, uh, you know, on this little tiny Island that we technically own, but isn't really U.S. territory. And it's, nobody goes there for any reason except to get tortured. And like nobody really thinks about it. It's just, no, it works because nobody's over there trying to make it better or realizing that it's still happening because it's so easy to forget about. And that was their whole plan. And it's working. It's like, like yeah why are you so good at planning things to cheney <laughs> yeah it's i mean if that was your what you're trying to accomplish you it was master class yes. but it's it's really depressing even obama couldn't undo it it's such a uh uncomfortable situation because what are you going to do release terrorists right like right but they're but they've never been formally like arrested right yeah no or, no like, charge no due process at all they're not protected by any sort they of. They literally laws. were grabbed off the street and put in cages, basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was the the series was about a guy who got released, but then through some sort of paperwork issue, um, didn't get signed in time, and then Trump came into office and then abolished the the Obama's policy of trying to um put people back to where they came from basically um yeah so Obama he, tried but it is one of like the big failures of his or a lot of people you know see it as one of the big failures of his administration was not being able to shut down Guantanamo Bay 
Yeah. I mean, there was some people that got released, but it wasn't enough. And, and, and it was very difficult to make it happen. My understanding is that whenever they did release prisoners, it was always very criticized where they're like, Obama's letting the terrorists out, you know? Right. Like, so it's, it's a well, really yeah, difficult situation. If they wouldn't be a terrorist. If they're only in Guantanamo Bay because they're a terrorist, right? There's no reason they right. wouldn't. You know, well, there's no way they we were, can make a mistake. And listen, if they weren't a terrorist before, you better bet they're radicalized now. <laughs> so you really can't let them out. That's the <laughs> argument, at least. And it's like, yes. oh, it's such a terrible situation. And it's definitely us doing it on purpose. Like, it's, it's, there's no escaping the U.S.'s guilt in this situation. So, again, just returning to the, the its inclusion in Vice, very important. <laughs> if anything, um, they don't go hard enough on it, you know? And But they do very much enforce how terrible it is. All right, so I got one more quote that will tie in nicely to this. And this is straight from the horse's mouth, you might say. This is uh, from Dick Cheney, the, one of the last quotes of the movie. I can... F- uh, let me see if I can do my Dick Cheney voice, right? <clears throat> I can feel your recommendations and your judgment, and I'm fine with it. If you want to be loved, go be a movie star. The world is not, the world is as you find it. You got to deal with that reality. And there are monsters in this world. We saw 3,000 innocent people burned to death by those monsters. And yet you object when I refuse to kiss those monsters on the cheek and say, pretty please? You answer me this. What terrorist attack would you have let go forward if you wouldn't seem like so i mean and nasty fella i will not apologize for keeping your family safe and i will not apologize for doing what needed to be done so your loved ones can sleep peacefully at night it has been my honor to be your servant you chose me and i did what you asked um yeah so these apparently are is like a uh, combination of real uh cheney quotes that was pieced together into this kind of uh, monologue that goes straight to the camera. Um, and so it's, it, it, it is like from maybe out of context, but it all is the first time you actually hear him, like Dick Cheney kind of defend himself at all in this movie, which I really appreciated. I think that added this extra level to it, you know, and it made you sort of question the things that came before. Uh, even though they they bookend it with all the things that he had done, right? So it it makes you at least appreciate maybe where he came from. And I think this, again, supports that New Yorker article that I was referencing earlier about threatism, right? That he was really concerned about saving American lives. And maybe he did see 9-11 as an opportunity, but an opportunity to make us safer. Um, And maybe he did that. Maybe he's just, you know, spreading fear around the world. Who knows? That's kind of up for us to decide. I agree. Uh, I, I think that this is actually compelling, like a compelling argument to some people who are, really are afraid of terrorists, even if the statistical probability of ever dying from a terrorist attack is very, very, very minimal. Right, and, and probably- the. And the response is way outweighed the action. Right, right. like hundreds, the hundreds of thousands at the minimum have been killed in this war. Um, and it could be as close to like half a million or more. Um, and, and that's crazy. That's an insane number, you know? Right. And that's, and that's due to the actions of this guy and the actions that the U S government took after these events happened. Right. I mean, us invading Iraq was very much like a Dick Cheney thing. And like, the only reason we did that was because they had 
they had oil that we wanted basically and we saw it as an opportunity for them to go after it they talked about that in the focus groups right right they were like we understand that we're at war we we're okay with a war but we have to understand what we're fighting and so they're like okay well we'll pick we'll just pick one randomly off the map and we'll say we're fighting them <laughs> <laughs> no it's serious and um i just think it's important this in- inclusion of his argument is important because um despite how unpopular dick cheney is there are still people who like dick cheney and think that what he did is right and i think it's only fair that you try to contextualize that and say this is why people believe that whether that's a base like what whether or not it's a baseless argument or or it's um sensationalizing terrorism is something is one thing but i think it's important to at least try to give a reason why he's doing this not just saying he just did it because he's evil right and like uh, uh, the scene is so interesting to me um like you can really see dick cheney on screen here you know like i it's so close to his face the lighting is not perfect it's kind of like his face is kind of half lit but still like it, it's such a focus on the makeup and like i'm sure if you saw it in the theaters it looked still looked really amazing but like it's almost as if like i you can see dick cheney's actual face like float in and out of christian bale's face there you know almost like it's like blending the two together i don't think that's actually what happened i couldn't find any evidence of that but to my eyes it almost like was tricking my eyes into seeing dick cheney and not christian bale in dick cheney costume and it was i mean it's just incredible first the makeup and everything but then just the performance elevates it to that level and like putting all that detail on screen at once just to like make you feel what this man said ah yeah no it's I- spooky I totally agree. It's not the same thing, but it kind of reminded me of the last scene in Rogue One, I believe it was, where you get to see uh, the Darth, mm. the Darth Vader kind of scene, where you're like, "Okay, now this is a villain." You know, he really gets to <laughs> now just... this is Pod Racer. <laughs> it's just um, <laughs> you know, you get to see him in all of his like kind of uh, villainous glory. Yeah. And um, it sticks with you. It's one of the most memorable scenes in the whole movie. So I, I think it's masterfully done. It's even more compelling now that I know that some of that stuff is actual Dick Cheney like quotes. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, speaking of quotes, that's the end of our quote section. Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. I know we just ended our quote section, but this next deeper section starts with a quote so we'll that's right now and uh it's going to be three people talking i'm going to play two of them joey's going to play one um this is from the focus group at the end of the movie it's actually rolling mid credits or the credits have already been rolling and they play the scene and i will be playing the trump fan and the focus group coordinator and okay. joey will be playing the liberal in the focus group okay libtard excuse me yeah well we'll find out uh <laughs> So, okay, this is, I'll start by being the the conservative, I guess. Um, Something's been bothering me this whole movie, and I just figured it out. The whole thing's got a liberal bias. Interesting. Does anyone else feel that way? One, two, three, four people. Yeah, go ahead. It's all facts, right? I mean, they had to vet all this with a lawyer. How does this make that, what's liberal about it? You would say that, libtard. Okay, I'm sorry. So, because I have the ability to understand facts, that makes me a liberal? Okay, guys, let's just take it down. You probably like Hillary. 
Idiot. First of all, Hillary's not president, okay? The Orange Cheeto that you hired is president, and he's running the country. Trump is the best thing in this country, you chicken shit. And then they start fighting. And then they start fighting. They literally start brawling in the middle of this focus group. Punching noises. And um, I thought this was interesting because it was a pretty um, accurate representation of how this movie was received, at least from my perspective, is that it was immediately shot down by a lot of conservative pundits as being liberal garbage. And a lot of liberals were super self-congratulatory about this movie. Totally didn't care anything about potential uh historical yeah. uh inaccuracies and just said what a glorious film let's let's give it all the awards because it <laughs> hates on dick cheney yeah it's a lot of bat back padding there okay look i think this movie is really well made so i think it deserves the recognition it gets um but i also want to i i i really like this quote and i think it dives deeper into something else i have another quote that's not from this movie it's from uh, stephen colbert um here it is i know there are some polls out there saying that this man has a 32 percent approval rating this is about uh george w bush but guys like us we don't pay attention to the polls we know that polls are just a collection of statistics that reflect what people are act thinking in reality and reality has a well-known liberal bias <laughs> This is from Stephen Colbert in 2006 during the White House Correspondents Association dinner. Um, and reality has a well-known liberal bias is like kind of a theme that I think uh, we could explore a little bit. Um, there's this Medium post by this guy named Michael Bernard, um, and he listed out, he sort of examined this. He listed out some Republican lies that I think are interesting. First of all, uh, Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. Hillary Clinton was involved in a pedophile ring in a basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement. Climate change is a Chinese hoax. Unemployment rose during Obama. Evolution isn't real, but creationism is. Trickle-down economics works. Robert E. Lee was a patriotic American. A good guy with a gun is necessary to stop a bad guy with a gun. Mass murderers who are people of color are terrorists, while white mass murderers are uniquely stressed individuals. So these are all provable lies. Um, these are all things that have been pushed at one point by Republican, prominent Republicans. I don't know if they were like Republican uh, talking, not talking points, but like, you know, platforms necessarily. But they are things that you hear from the conservative side. Um, uh, some other ones that I want to add to this list. Embracing QAnon. There's several uh, Congress people running for Congress who are QAnon supporters or QAnon believers, which is a super dangerous conspiracy theory it's responsible for pizzagate among many other insane beliefs um that has permeated like uh like the older generation um i've heard it described as horoscopes for crazy boomers <laughs> <laughs> well um yeah even trump gave QAnon kind of a friendly reception when he was asked about them i yeah i heard they love our they love our country yeah that's what he said they love our country i've heard uh, yeah that's something that really bothers me about trump is when he conflates himself with the country well uh, you see that often uh, definitely they say yeah and, and the same th i mean the same thing goes for when protesters hate our country because they're trying to speak out against injustice no 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 don't listen to their words they really just hate our country right um, another one of my favorite lies is mail-in voting is fraudulent, um, which uh, there's no evidence of this at all. There's many states that actually do exclusively mail-in voting or have done mail-in voting for a long time, and they have neither a Republican nor Democratic bias. Um, they just have higher voter turnout. Yes. <laughs> 
so like the idea that this is going to be a problem or that we're going to have we're going to see some major fraud because of lots of people voting absentee is uh ridiculous um and then of course curse uh, coronavirus misinformation um you see this on uh fox news all the time uh, the whole thing with hydroxychloroquine that trump was pr promoting which was a drug that so showed some promising results but turned out to be actually pretty dangerous for people who had heart conditions um and then of course masks have been largely politicized um that's kind of calmed down a lot i think everyone's on the same page now but for a while there it was kind of a thing that people were uh very much like divided on and much because of you know, conservative talking heads like on Fox and Friends saying, oh, you know, you don't have to wear a mask. Uh, masks make you look weak. I, my, my point of bringing these up is that there are all of these lies, and I'm sure you could find some more from the Democratic side. But if you look at uh, things like Twitter, um, the Washington Post did this analysis of Twitter uh, users and try to find out if Twitter has a liberal bias. And they found that, uh, no, the, the way that they did their analysis, they actually like grabbed like a rant they tried to determine what the like most influential twitter accounts were and then they would rate them as conservative liberal or moderate based on the kind of tweets or the kind of people that they followed um and they when they found when they just tracked the number of accounts they found that there were more there was a higher representative of conservative uh accounts than others and there was a but when you factored in number of tweets, it was basically equal. And the, the spike was right in the middle in the moderate section. And that's largely because most people don't use Twitter for news. 80% uh, of Twitter is like entertainment stuff and only like, you know, 10 to 15% is news related. And that's, um, and so like, they're like they're, the conclusion is like people aren't using Twitter for their news as much as people think they are. And that, and they're not following hard news things. They don't really care that much. But even when they are, the the Twitter as a whole is not biased one way or the other, and there was a study uh, that showed that Politifact, which you've referenced as a source a couple times here, uh, has found conservative claims to be more likely to be untrue three times as often as Democratic ones. And I read a, a couple different opinion pieces about the interpretation of this. Um, the like Politifact, when asked about this like bias, quote unquote, they were like, "We're not trying to push anything. We're just evaluating." news items as they come up you know and the way that they they're not examining every single claim that comes out there only ones that they find relevant or interesting um so it's not a perfect way to analyze this but of the, the you know of the 54 i said 54 percent of the uh uh like facts that they that this study looked at were conservative and they found and you know the rest of them were democratic and the rest and they you know they found there was this huge discrepancy that more they're more likely to have uh a uh the conservative sorry the conservative uh points were more likely to be found to be untrue than liberal ones and i think that supports my theory that reality has a liberal bias um you know i feel like the conservative party in a large part benefits from people not being informed and not understanding what's going on you know and something like this which this movie tries to give you context for things that have happened, try to give you explanations for things that have happened. You know, I think in large part, the things that do happen are true. There are some nitpicks about the order of events or even the role that Dick Cheney played in those events. But 
those things did happen. The Fairness Doctrine did get repealed. You know, all the you know, Fox News did rise into this new prominence of misinformation in our society. And as you look, as you look at this stuff, I mean, what, do you, what conclusion are you supposed to take? I think people that shoot down this movie as saying, oh, it has a liberal bias are simply contributing to that misinformation, right? They're saying, oh, don't, don't, you know, don't look at this movie as like, don't examine this for its truths. You know, don't look into it and find out if this is true or not. It has a liberal bias. It can't be, nothing about it is true. It's a way to dismiss something that might make you more critical. I think that's a great argument. I, um, I mean, one of the other things that the conservatives definitely do not have going for them as far as truthfulness is having Trump on their team um, and like the prominence of like real time fact checking during the debates um, almost four years ago now. Oh, yeah. They, that was another, and the same kind of reaction was brought on by the right. How, you can't let the, them fact check their, their bias against Trump because they're saying that what he's saying is untrue. It's like, well, it is untrue, right? Like, you can't just say <laughs> that it's biased because it goes against him. It's still, if it's untrue, it's untrue. So, um, right. And that's like, that was PolitiFact's argument yeah. too was that like, we're just, we're evaluating this as a pure, just for the statement alone. And they were like, well, clearly they have like clearly this evidence that they found more things to be untrue from conservatives proves that they have a bias. And they're like, um, or <laughs> maybe the things that they said were untrue, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it, this movie. It's so interesting to look at the Bush administration and be like, dang, things were really messed up then. And then just compare it to now. And it's a whole different monster of like awfulness yes like it almost makes you yes. yearn for the return to this monster <laughs> which is yeah the whole thing right like you hear that all the time is that like like people are like wistful for george w bush and he's like well you can make the argument he's a war criminal we should be pros prosecuted for that yes like <laughs> yeah not so great um, not so great but i think you wrapped it up really well there joey so i think we're ready to move on to our ratings and uh okay. do you want to do yours first Sure. I give this movie four more years. Four more years. Oh, my years. gosh. <laughs> four more years. Four more years. That's amazing. Um, I give this movie a convincing and realistic beer gut. Uh, very impressive the way that uh, Christian Bale lugged that thing around all movie long. I was, I was really one of my favorite aspects of this movie, I think. Okay, Joey. <laughs> so what's next on Affable Chat? Next movie... Uh, we will be doing is Big Fish. Interesting. I don't think I've heard of Big Fish, um, but we're gonna find Tim out Burton all about movie. it. Tim right. Tim Burton, you say? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but okay. Thank you for listening to Affable Chat. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I have this thing. It's called TikTok. The TikTok. And uh, you can, we're at Affable Chat on all those platforms, or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. Check it out. And Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's wow. twitch.tv slash affablechat. And okay. that's going to do it for this episode on Vice for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.